Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. We've been in a series for the last couple of months. Bishop has been focusing on honor. He's been focusing on honor, and even at the last couple of Aspires, he's uh, done somewhat of a, a recap on the topic of honor. And it's not my intention to try to uh, come behind the things that he's already mentioned, the things that he's already taught and shared. Uh, but what I do want to do is perhaps bring closure to the series by focusing on honor in a, in a way that some of us may or may not consider uh, all the time. And I want to focus on honor from the standpoint and this position of the words that we say out of our mouths. The words that we say out of our mouths. If you wouldn't mind, please go to the book of James, New Testament, the book of James chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And for the purpose of today's assignment, I will be reading from the, the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you have it, say amen. If you're still looking, say I'm on my way. It's a few folks, okay. We're going to go together. Hallelujah. And the scripture reads, My dear brothers and sisters, don't be so eager to become a teacher in the church since you know that we who teach are held to a higher standard of judgment. We all fail in many areas. Let's just... Underline that. We all fail in many areas. There's none righteous, there's none perfect but Christ. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet, if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. Just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of our human body. 
It corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. My God. Verse 7, for every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, and creatures of the sea and land, and have all been overpowered and tamed by humans, but the tongue is not able to be tamed. It's a fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person who was made in his very image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sister, this should never be. Verse 11, would you look for olives hanging on a fig tree or go to pick figs from a grapevine? Is it possible that fresh and bitter water can flow out of the same spring? So neither can a bitter spring produce fresh water. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word on this morning. I ask you to give me the power, the divine enablement to preach as you've unctioned me and assign me. In Jesus' name, amen. As I approach this particular text, there's been a thought that has been stirring in my spirit for about two weeks now. Now, I'll explain why very shortly. Uh, but what I observe is that life is full of defining moments. There are moments in our lives that set the stage or the tone for the things that we experience. Uh, and in many cases, if we go back and look and trace and review our past, there have been defining moments that have set us up for where we are right now, but also defining moments that are setting us up for our future. Some of those types of days include graduation days. It could be middle, high school, or college. It could be the day we got married. It could, it could be the day that we embarked upon a career and we got that position that we were desiring uh, so desperately. Uh, but there are milestones. There are, there, there, there are monumental moments in our lives that all of us can reflect on, for better or for worse. And, and as, as I think about this text, there is a monumental date in my life where things changed for me forever. On November 11th, 2019, my life changed forever, you all. And you know why? Somebody say why. That was the day that I got braces in my mouth. <laughs> Those of you who are former brace wearers, you understand my testimony. You know the struggle. My life changed forever almost two weeks ago because I decided that I was going to get braces. <laughs> it's going to make sense in a minute. You see, one of the things I love about God is that he never leaves us without provision for our journey. He always provides the help for the things that he's called us to do, even when it comes to our words. Now, uh, I, we, we, we have at least one dentist in the house, and there are other folks in the healthcare field, and there, again, are those who have the testimony that I am a former person who, has, who had braces. Dentists often recommend braces for patients who need help with their teeth, and by no means am I an expert, uh, so, so Dr. Mims, please forgive me if I, if I say something erroneous today. Uh, but in my experience, there was something that I noticed was a little bit off in my mouth, and I believed that it needed correction. 
And when I got consultation, it was confirmed that, yes, there's some things that can be corrected. Uh, yes, what's in your mouth can be adjusted so that it is a more pleasant experience for you, so that the presentation is better. And upon receiving that consultation, I made up my mind that, you know what, I'm going, I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm, I'm, I'm going to allow myself to undergo this experience of getting braces. My life changed and I recognized that these braces, this is a, it's a mechanism for bringing correction to something that is a bit out of order. And I wanna use braces as a metaphor for something that is not naturally a part of us, but is something that can be placed on the inside of us to help us have a better presentation. Somebody say brace yourself. You see, a brace is something that holds parts together or in place as a clasp or a clamp is anything that imparts rigidity or steadiness. That's the noun. A verb, a brace is, or means to furnish, fasten, or strengthen with, as if with a brace to fix firmly, make steady, secure against pressure or impact. So I have both phenomena going on uh, in my mouth as I speak. And if you've heard me over the last couple of weeks, it's been a little bit of a struggle for me to say certain words and to, to, to release certain pronunciations because I'm adjusting to these braces. My life changed on November 11, 2019. <laughs> you see, braces, listen, braces is, 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 is a metaphor for something that helps to bring self-control to our lives. It's something that, that helps us to improve our communications. And here's the first thing that I notice about braces, and my braces can testify. They are uncomfortable. The positive is they're temporary. It is something that is external. In other words, it's not a part of my physical anatomy originally. It's coming from outside of me, and they can only be placed upon me by a specialist. They can only be placed upon me by somebody that actually knows what they're doing. You see, saints, braces have forced me to make some significant adjustments. It's, it's caused me to have to recalibrate some things in my life. Because of braces, it's, it's forcing me to talk a little bit slower. Because of braces, I'm being forced to think about what I want to say a little bit longer and be more intentional with my words. Because of braces, I have to put more effort into my pronunciation. And here's, the, here's probably the worst thing of all. I have had to adjust my diet. Because I told you, these braces have changed my life. My goodness. Well, why is this important? Well, because when it comes to what God has called Park Lawn to do, when it comes to what God has called you to do, when it comes to what God has called your family to do, it's very appropriate to reflect on the concept of bracing yourself because in some cases, what God has for you is so immense, is so monumental, is so big, you can't even fathom it, so you have to brace yourself. You have to hold on so that you don't fall off. At the same time, what God has for you is so precious, so special, so unique that you can mess it up with your words. And so there is something that we need in our mouth to help us to not mess it up. 
We have to understand, if I take you back to the scripture, you don't have to go there, but just follow me. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the scripture tells us that God created man in his own image and likeness. And what that means very simply is this. That Hebrew word for image means that God, it means shadow or illusion. In other words, when, when Adam passed by creation, it was as if they were looking at God. And that word likeness actually means, a, 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 it means to reflect the image of God. It means that Adam was created comparable to God. 1 Corinthians 11 and 7 says this, humanity is the glory of God. That word glory is, it, it, it means heft, weight, or, or heaviness, or authority. So in other words, what that means is this very simply, that the same way that God related to heaven, he wants mankind to relate to the earth. We were created to be just like him. Hallelujah. And as I look at God's creatorial brilliance, as I look at, at his creative act, what I recognize is God made a whole bunch of things beautiful and great. He made the trees which are majestic. He made, he made animals. He made the season. He made the land. But guess what? He even made angels. But none of God's creation is like us. None of those creatorial acts have the ability to speak and to create to govern and to subdue. What is man that, uh, that thou have been mindful of him? What is mankind that you have made him just like you? Why did he make us just like him? And if he made us just like him, then we must recognize that just as God's words can speak and bring things into existence, our words also can be released and bring things into existence. Psalm 33 and 6 says this, the Lord spoke and the heavens were created. The world began and appeared at his command. If you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, it says, by faith we understand that the entire universe, the King James says, the worlds were framed by his word. They were formed at his command so that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And what that means very simply is this, men and women of God. Our words will literally frame our world. Our words will literally frame our world. Now, I have a picture that I'd like you to take a look at. Our words will frame our world. Let's see if we can get that up for a moment. And so I was, I was, I was driving the other day and I was compelled to pull over and take a picture of this particular image. Now, Here's something interesting, and all of us have seen a, 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 a setting or an image like this at some time or another. And what I notice is, although I don't understand exactly what it's going to be right now, I see the frame. Something is going on. Somebody is working on this project right here. I don't understand or know or have intimate knowledge about what exactly it's going to be. But at some point, I know that if they continue working on this particular structure, it is going to be something that has great use and value for those who establish it, those who own it, and those who will utilize it. It's a frame. And sometimes we can, we, we can frame things that are not uh, uh, in the line or not appropriate to what God has called us to do. Why? Because we don't, we, we don't understand his plan for us. We don't have the insight that we want. So sometimes instead of building, callous, bu building palaces and, and building things that would allow us to, to mount up and go towards the destiny that God has for us, we will, with our words, frame cages. And with our words, we will frame prisons that lock us up and prevent us from going into 
to our destiny because our words can frame our world. What we don't realize and understand it often is that there is another process that's coming after this. You got people that's going to bring in utilities and there's at some point there's going to be somebody that brings in furnishings and they'll begin to lay drywall and do all the fixings and all the amenities and then the product will be finished. Brothers and sisters, I want to implore you today. Don't, 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 don't speak too soon about what you don't understand that God is doing on the inside of you. Somebody say, brace yourself. God has a destiny for your life. I'm going to reiterate this many times. But securing that destiny requires your cooperation. It requires that you honor God by saying what he says about your life. You know I'm telling the truth. So many people talk themselves out of the promise of God, and in effect, they abort their purpose. This happens on the individual level. I believe it has happened on a family level. If some of us don't understand why family matters are spiraling out of control, it's because somebody spoke out of turn, and they framed a prison or a cage or a wall or a barrier so that the family cannot go beyond that word. It works for the collective as well. Now, now, ponder this for a moment. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still ruminating on Genesis chapter one, verses uh, uh, one and through three. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit in the text. The Bible lets us know that in the beginning, God, He was there first. We agree. In the beginning, God, and then it begins to let us know that the spirit of God, uh, that, well, let me back up, that the earth was without form and was, was void and, and it was dark. Darkness covered the face of the deep. One translation says it was cloaked in darkness. So just get that image in your mind if you can. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Bible says, while the spirit was moving and hovering over the waters, the Bible says, and then God said, the spirit is moving over darkness, over something that's void, over something that does not have form. He's moving. We don't know how many years that that actually was, but we do know that he was moving. He was stirring. He was hovering. And then God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. The understanding for us is this, saints of God, that nothing is going to, nothing is going to shift. Nothing is going to change in our lives until God speaks the word. Nothing changed in that dark moment. Nothing changed in that formless situation, that void circumstance, until God spoke the word. The words of God have very much weight, very much authority, very much power. And if we are made in his image and if we are made in our likeness, we have to understand that it's the same way for us. You might be in a formless situation. You might look at yourself and say, I am void. You might look at yourself and say, hey, I'm ignorant to your plans, oh God. My life is cloaked in darkness, but I want to encourage you that even though that might be your situation, you might feel that way. Your personality may suggest that it's that way, but guess what? The spirit of God is hovering over you. He's hovering over you and all, all he's waiting for is the word of God to be released. God's words change everything. <laughs> so much so are, are our words important. So much so are our words important that we have to recognize that Bishop Harvey has framed a future for our church. In articulating the succession plan, he has framed a future for our church. 
In other words, because he's been here for so many years, 27 plus years, many of us cannot fathom a future without him. And so what he's saying is a frame. We hear what's being said. We might be able to see some elements and aspects of it, but it's a bit scary because we don't know what the end is going to be. But yet he has framed a future for Park Long. And I want to encourage you that it is up to us to be caretakers of that frame. It's up to us to be those who, 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 who supervise and who monitor that frame and steward the promise. It's going to be on us. Here's, here's what Jesus said. Now, I'm going to get to that text. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36. He says that we are going to have to give an account for every idle word that we speak. Idle means it's inactive. It's doing nothing. In other words, if we're going to say something about a situation, let it be something that's going to be activating. Let it be something that's going to be productive. In other words, if you don't have nothing good to say, it's probably better that you don't say nothing. Somebody say, brace yourself. We're going to have to give an account. In other words, Jesus is saying, you were made just like God. You have the ability with your words to create, to build, to bless, and to be productive. But instead, you choose not to. Your words are tools. Your words are weapons. What are you going to do with the ability that God divinely gave you? You're not like the trees. You're, you're not like the angels who excel in strength. You are not like goats and cattle and sheep and camels. You were made in the image of God. What will you do now that you have this ability? I'm building up to something. Uh, 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 let's look at this quote from Kevin Zaday in his book, Praying from the Heavenly Realms. He offers a thought that I, I hope can punctuate my contention this morning. He says, and this is a gentleman who had a, a for real, for real encounter with Jesus Christ. He says here, he taught me the words, he taught me that words were of utmost importance to the operation of the realm of the supernatural. Jesus began to teach me with conviction about the use of my words. He explained how the supernatural realm responds to me when I speak by the Holy Spirit with an authority and faith born from the Spirit's revelation, not my own understanding, producing what is called a faith rest. God has ordained that you and I would rest in him. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. And if we hold to what God has said and begin to utter the things that he has communicated to us, it will allow our faith to arise and we can enter into a place of rest. Go with me to Psalm 141, verses 1 through 3. I'm building a case here. Psalm 141, verse 3. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, this psalm picks up with David. Uh, it picks up with David, and for time's sake, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, begin to accelerate here. I won't read every verse, but uh, many scholars contend that at this particular juncture, David is in the tabernacle, and he's, he's offering up worship to God, uh, potentially during the, the evening sacrifice. He's praying that his, his prayers would even reach heaven as incense. In other words, if we, if we agree with the scholars and we agree with this text, we can, we can surmise uh, that David is in the temple. And look at verse 3. Look at what verse 3 says. The scripture says in King James Version, it says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. 
In other words, David is in the sanctuary and he can observe potentially, right? He can observe some things that may or may not be right in the sanctuary. He can observe some things that may, may be a bit concerning in the sanctuary, in the temple. Uh, but, but, but because he understands where he is and he understands who God is, he recognizes that if he says the wrong thing, it might mess some things up. And so what he does is says, Lord, set a watch above my, or, or, on, the, on the door of my lips. Set a watch, oh God, before my mouth. In other words, my, my, my ability to speak is so critical. In fact, my mouth can be a dangerous thing. So God, I'm not relying upon my own ability to control my mouth. Lord, you've got to help me with my mouth. Somebody say, brace yourself. Listen, that word guard means this. It's literally like a guard. If you imagine any uh, a bank or any, any, any institution that has valuables on the inside, there's a guard outside so that no one can get in that's not supposed to. And even to keep some folks, no one can get in and no, no one can get out except by permission of that guard. In other words, what's on the inside is very important. It has great value. David says, I need help with my mouth, God. He says, help me to maintain the door of my lips, oh God. Proverbs 13, 3 says, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. We're talking about honor through our words today. Psalm 19, 14, many of you know it very well. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We got to understand that there's a heaven and earth uh, agreement and arrangement that is manifested through our words. Words and honor are inextricably connected. I couldn't say that word two weeks ago. Words and honor are inextricably connected. Honor is integrity in one's beliefs and actions. To honor is to hold in high respect, to revere. Now get this. Honor is a key to promotion, advancement, prosperity, and peace. Now watch this timeline or this sequence here. You demonstrate honor or dishonor by what you say. What you say is a function of what you know, right? You can have the right information or you can have the wrong information. What you know is related to what you believe. And what we believe is a function of what's in our heart. So what we speak is based on info. And the info that we have has been based upon things that we either have read or, come, or has come from some external source. What we say is a function of what we believe, and what we believe is based upon what's in our heart. In other words, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if dishonor is coming out of our mouth, then that means that dishonor is somewhere resident in our heart. Somebody say it's an inside job. If honor is coming out of our mouth, then that means that somewhere honor is in our heart. Help us, God, to weigh our words. Help us, God, to not speak out of turn. Help us, God, to not speak too fast. Help us, God, to not, to not be quiet when we should speak. Hallelujah. As I've been journeying with these braces... You know, it's almost like a, like a, when you get a new car, how many of you can, can testify to this? When you get a new car, all of a sudden, you start seeing that same car everywhere. So now, all of a sudden, I'm paying attention to everybody's mouth. And I'm like, oh, I can tell they, they must have braces. <laughs> I can tell, oh, they have some orthodontic work right there. 
I'm paying attention to everybody, so just be mindful. I'm not, take, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny or funny acting, but if you find me staring at you, I'm probably looking to see if you have braces at some point in time. But I learned that you can tell when somebody has had braces. In other words, if I use braces as a metaphor for the word of God, you can tell when somebody has been in that word. You can tell who's been eating the text that's holy. You can tell who's been meditating on his thoughts day and night, just like you can tell when somebody has had orthodontic work, when they've had braces, because it's a distinct difference. So much so that David's other son, Solomon, the king, he begins to let us know what happens when the godly people speak. Because I believe that if you are godly, your words will mirror and parallel the word of God much more than the words of this world. David says this, and I'll read just a couple for time's sake. He says this, the godly speak words that are helpful. Are your words helping or are they hurting? <laughs> He says the godly speak words that save lives. He says the godly give good advice to their friends. He says that those who are godly will give gentle answers and turn away wrath. Now, I need to let you in on a little bit of a secret. There has been much opposition coming against me in preparation for this word. I got challenged in this very word that I'm speaking today. So please understand that I don't sit here on this perch looking at you with a condescending uh, disposition. I'm looking at you as one who has had to be purged, as one God has tried and said, brace yourself. You talking too much. <laughs> My God. God's word will work inside of us and in our mouth like a brace to ensure that what we say aligns with the will of God. I think about Job. <laughs> you remember Job? It's interesting. Job had two specific tests. The first test, it seemed like Job passed. He got devastating news. On four occasions, four messengers came to Job, all with bad news. All of his, all of his, his livestock killed, stolen. All of his servants, except the ones who came and gave the report, killed. His children killed. Evil reports. But we see in the text that Job worships the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then there's a second test because the devil said, okay, that was just his possessions. But I, if you afflict his body, then he will curse you. And so now we see a little bit of a turn. We see a little bit of a difference in Job's response. I believe Job still loved God. But on this occasion, if you look at Job chapter 3, Job curses the day that he was born. He, these boils and these sores on his body were too much for him. He said, I got pus coming out of me. I got maggots coming out of me. They're crawling on my skin. I wish I was never born. And in essence, what he's saying, God, is you made a mistake. You creating me had to be a mistake because how else could I find myself in this predicament? And if I fast forward for sake of time to Job 38, 1 through 5, listen to how God answers Job. And let this be a reminder to us that God knows what he's doing. Tell somebody next to you, God knows what he's doing. 
You see, Job, because he began to be overtaken by impatience and self-pity and doubt and despair. In fact, he literally said this in chapter 6, I wish he would crush me. Job began to complain. He started out worshiping, but then all of a sudden, because the situation got worse, he thought God had abandoned him and his worship turned into complaining. God just had to rise up real quick like a boss. God had to rise up like the king that he is. And this is what he says. He says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much since you got so much to say, Job. Who determined his dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? God said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You are beginning to malign my character. You talking like you know me, but you really don't know me. Just let me introduce myself. In other words, if I can, if I can, if, if my, if my educators will allow me this space for a moment, I'm going to go to a street vernacular just for a moment and say this. God was saying this. Who are you? <laughs> were you there when the stars were hung? Were you there when the, when the ostrich was created? And were you there, Job? If we're not careful, we will, we, will, we will miss this point. That pain has a purpose in our lives. Come on. Life does not just consist of everything that feels good and is comfortable for us. If we are not careful, we will miss the lesson in our suffering. How dare you think that you are too good to suffer? How dare you think that you don't have to wait a little while? How dare you think that you are, 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 are exempt from certain feelings that are not to the good? Hallelujah. How dare us think that there won't be some times where we don't understand it all? Is that enough for you to begin to speak against what God is doing? Is that enough for you to begin to question the call of God upon your life because it's not happening according to your timetable? Hebrews 5 and 8 says this, that even Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. There are some lessons that you will learn in suffering that you will never learn. There are some things about God that you will learn through sickness that you will never learn if it's all good in your body. There's some things about, come on, there's some things about God that you will learn that you will never learn until you go through. <laughs> Don't go there, but just listen to what Job says. So after about four chapters of getting checked, God said, Job says this. He says, now I know that you can do anything. <laughs> he got his mind right. And no, nobody but God can get you together like that. He says, you ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things that I knew nothing about, things too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you. He says, I had only heard about you before, but now, somebody say, but now, I have seen you with my own eyes. Come on, suffering will, suffering will cause you to see some things about God that you cannot see in comfort. We got to watch our words. Somebody say, brace yourself. Now, if you would go back to me to James chapters, chapter 3, I want to approach this quickly. Because here's the thing. We got to understand something about James. James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Many think that this was James the, the apostle, but it wasn't. This was James, Jesus' brother. 
James was a man of God for real, for real. He, he was considered one of the most strict Jews. In fact, they called him Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees praying. James was, he, he, listen, he embraced the Gentiles, but he really was riding for his people, if I can put it like that. He was a, a, a starch, a supporter of the Jewish people, and then he wrote this letter uh, to be a series of exhortations, warnings, and instructions about more religious life. And so talking about the tongue was critical because these were Jewish Christians. They converted to Christianity, but they were scattered. And so he was trying to give them uh, information to help them in their Christian walk because he wanted them to live the life in truth and in excellence. And there's one thing in, in Jewish culture called the evil tongue. It's something in Jewish culture called the, the evil tongue. It's called the Lashan Hara. It means to say anything that has malicious intent. It means to speak the truth with the intent to do harm to somebody. Like, I'm just being honest, but it's hurting somebody. And so Jewish tradition was against this kind of practice. In fact, the scripture says, David says this, who is the man, Psalm 34, 12, 13, who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now, we see a manifestation of this in the book of Numbers. If you, if you recall, Miriam has some inappropriate words to say to her brother Moses. She, 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 she made the mistake of giving her opinion when she really should have kept her mouth shut. Now, it's interesting because what she said was actually true, but she did it to hurt Moses' reputation. And so the Bible refers to that as an evil tongue. Sometimes, even though we might see something that's true, even though we might see something that has actually some substance to it, we have to be careful with what we say about it. In other words, do you have to say that? Set a watch before my, my mouth, oh God. Keep the door of my... Do you have to say that? I know you see it, but do you have to say it? It reminds me of that movie, Jumping the Broom. Uh, uh, after Loretta Devine's character, Pam, she, she, she was mad because she was losing her son, so she thought to marriage, and she began to, she began to express some family secrets to Sabrina, Paula Patton's character. She began to say some things that hurt her and wounded her. And when she got back into the room, here comes Willie Earl. Here comes Mike Epps playing her, her, little, her brother. And he says, uh, 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 what's wrong with you? And she begins to give her excuses. She begins to say, well, I prayed on it. Now, I don't believe Willie Earl was a preacher, Minister Tim, but he said a very important thing. He asked the question, he says, did God tell you to say that? God told you to say that? In other words, we're not talking about correction. We're talking about trying to hurt somebody. She said those things to hurt somebody. Come on, we got to brace ourselves. We got to watch what's coming out of our mouths because like in the movie, she almost ruined everything. Sometimes you got to know some stuff and be able to hold on to it. And I'm going to tell you a little secret about leadership. Whether you're a principal, whether you're a parent, that's still leadership. There's some things that we know that we would never tell our children. Right? There's some things that if our children knew would devastate them or would confuse them and do more harm than good. So what do we do as mature adults? We 
keep it to ourselves. There's some things we just got to keep to ourselves. I'm not talking about uh, holding on to sin and, and, and glossing over sin and, and, and not addressing sin. What I'm saying is that what is your motive for releasing what's coming out of your mouth? I got to move. And so James, because he understands Jewish tradition, and he, he wants these Jewish believers to recognize that even though you're coming into this newness of life, there's some things that are still applicable from your history and tradition. And one of those things is the tongue. And he begins to expound on this tongue. And this tongue is something, something, something. It is wicked. It is something that cannot be tamed. We can tame everything, every creature, but something about this tongue. We just can't seem, seem to get ourselves together. And so he uses the example of a horse needing something extra called a bridle and a bit. And the purpose of that bridle and bit, I don't know if I have any horse riders in here, but the purpose of that, of that bit and that bridle is very simply this, because the horse and the rider have to go in the same direction. The horse and the rider have to be on the same page, so that bit and that bridle does this. It helps to work and facilitate agreement. Otherwise, they're going to be going in the opposite direction of one another, or they're going to stand still. And so James begins to make this, 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 this connection and draw this analogy. And the, the Greek word for bit is actually this. It means to curb the spirit. And I believe the word of God will function in our mouth uh, like a brace. It will function in our mouth like a bit to curb our spirit. In other words, when our feelings or our emotions or, or the flesh or the world or the devil is prompting us to act a certain way or say something, the word of God, if it's been consumed, the word of God, if it's been received, will curb our spirit. It will cause us to bust a Yui, as they say out there. It will cause us to turn things around and say what is in alignment with the word of God. Let me take you a little bit further. You don't have to go there. Psalm 32 and 8, it says this. God, uh, the Lord is saying this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Think about that for a moment. To hold them in check, do not be as the horse or as the mule. Why did he use these animals? Why these beasts? I'll explain in a moment. You see, I believe what God is saying here is that I have words to offer you that will point you in the right direction and bring you success and fulfillment. Uh, but you must come into agreement with me. Now, as I was preparing, I began to investigate horses and mules. Very quickly, horses are, are animals that are, are, are very helpful. We all know this. We've seen horses everywhere in parades and so forth. I don't have to expound upon that. But horses are also very proud. Horses are also what they call skittish. In other words, one eye looks forward and one eye is looking back. So they're always in a state of alarm. At, at the, the slightest sound, a horse is ready to, ready to get little. A horse is ready to take off. A horse is ready to run. It's fight or flight, and they're going to flee. Scary. That's what horses are. He says, don't be like a horse. But then I, I started to read, and I'm like, hmm, he said a mule. So in case you didn't know, a mule is a hybrid. A mule is, is the offspring of a, a, a female horse and a male donkey. So a mule has a little bit of horse in it, and a mule has a little bit of donkey in it. 
A donkey, a male donkey is called a jack. <laughs> some of you might know some jacks. I'm going to quote Bishop, don't, don't, don't look at nobody, just keep looking at me. Donkeys are known for being stubborn. They're known for being stubborn. Now watch this. Donkeys are very helpful. They have more endurance than horses. They're very helpful, but they're stubborn. In other words, if, if, if they don't agree on what the, what, the, what the one in command has to say, they're not moving. If they don't understand or comprehend, if it's not registered, because guess what? They actually are cognitively pretty bright. If, if it's not registering with them, guess what? They're not buzzing. They're stubborn. So that's a donkey. Now, the, 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 the mule has a little bit of horse and a little bit of donkey, a little bit of scary and a little bit of stubborn, and it forms a mule. They're more patient than horses. Mules are tough. They have great endurance. They are naturally cautious, but just like that daddy, mules can be very stubborn. And just like that mama, mules can be very scary. And so the scripture says, don't be like the horse or the mule. What does, what does that say to us as saints? That many of us can have quality attributes. Many of us can have gifts. Many of us can do things that are fruitful, that are productive. We got great qualities about ourselves. But if there are some parts of our being that are not in check, we will find ourselves not going with the move of God. We will find ourselves staying still when God said move forward. We will find ourselves uh, 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 going forward when God says pause. If we're not careful, as we approach the future, we'll be a little skittish and we'll take off before time. Don't be a horse. And if we're not careful, we'll be stubborn and unmovable like a mule because we don't comprehend everything that's being said. Somebody say this. Say, don't be a mule or a horse. God is very clear because here's why. They need something extra to hold them in check, otherwise they will not agree. So ask yourself, do you want to be that individual that God has to have in check all the time? Because here's what I believe about God. God prefers this. The best riders and the best horses and mules, they don't need a, 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 a significant bit or bridle. Because why? They have learned their master. They have learned, they have learned what it means when the master sits up and when the master sits back. And in fact, the best riders, they use their calf muscles to just press in on the flesh of the, of the mule and on the flesh of the horse. In other words, there is a subtle communication and they know what to do. I believe God has designed you and I to be led subtly by the Holy Ghost. In other words, God does not want to have to push and, and pull us. God does not want to have to yank the reins and cause us to stop. God wants to be able to lead us and direct us by his spirit. Jesus said he will be with you and he will be in you. And if you have the spirit of God on the inside of you, indwelling in you, sealed unto the day of redemption, he is in you to lead you. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, God should not have to yank you. God should not have to make you do something. When he speaks, you go. Hallelujah. Now I want to begin to wrap this thing up because there's some takeaways that I want us to leave with. I don't want us to miss. I don't want us to miss. Obedience for the horse and the mule 
comes from some force being exacted upon them. But I don't believe that's God's best. I don't believe that's the only way to get to the promise. In other words, does God have to drag you? Has unbelief captured your thoughts and your heart so much that you now begin to argue with your creator? Has God been that unfaithful in your life, but now that now you question whether or not he can deliver? Come on. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it before, he can do it again. When you release your faith, you're saying, God, give me an encore. God, do it again. I praise you, God. I thank you, God. I believe that you can do it again. There's three things that we need to do. Like the horse and the rider, the first thing that we have to do is to agree. A. It's easy as ABC. <laughs> it's easy as ABC. The first thing that we have to do is to agree. We've got to agree with God. We got to agree with our leaders. We have to agree with our members. If we're not in agreement, that means that we hear the word and we respond to the word. That means that we hear the word and we act upon the word. That means that we hear the word and we repeat what the word is saying. We don't, we don't, we don't superimpose our words, our opinions, our thoughts, our ideas, our feelings over the word of God. We agree. The second thing we need to do is we need to believe. I told you it's easy as ABC. We need to believe. And here's something that's very poignant for me. The scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and he received the promise. Now, what I love about this story is that unbeknownst to Sarah and Abraham, God was always going to deliver. Sometimes you and I can get a bit weary. We can get a bit weak in our faith because it's taking so long. Do you not know that Abraham was 75 years old when the word was first released? And the manifestation did not come until he was 100 years old. I believe God wanted to prove to him that I am God and there is none beside me. In fact, I'm so God and I'm I'm so good and I'm, I'm so powerful that I will allow your body to mature another 25 years. I will allow your wife's womb to get a bit older and still make good on my promise. You see, if we try to help God, and sometimes we try to help God through our words, and we start saying things that God never told us to say, and we start putting our mouth on things that God never told us to put our mouth on, and if we're not careful, then we will produce an Ishmael. And that has ramifications and implications that still exist today. Isaac and Ishmael are still fighting today because they began to get a bit weak and a bit weary. But God got them together real quick. The Bible says in Genesis 21 that that God, he fulfilled the promise at the time that he said he would. Can I encourage you this morning? God is not a man that he should lie. If he promised it to you, guess what? He shall deliver and he will deliver on time. He will do it. We got to believe. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. The scripture says in Romans 4.19 that he did not weaken in his faith, even though he knew he was too old. It might not make sense to you. You might look at the natural situation and say, there's no way. Some of the men know Rob Parker. He says, no way, no how. You might look at the circumstance and recognize that there is nothing about this that looks promising. And because God is so super, 
Because he's so above you and I, he says, that's exactly how I want it. <laughs> because I don't want you taking none of the credit. I don't want you getting none of the glory. So I like it this way. I like it like that. He believed him. He believed him. And he received the last thing that we need to do is we've got to confess. Somebody say confess. I told you it's easy. It's ABC. Agree, believe, and confess. And that word confess uh, many of us are familiar with it uh, because we have gone the Romans road. We, we have acknowledged that uh, we're not righteous and that we need a savior. We, we recognize that our, the wages of sin is death and we receive salvation. And the scripture says in Romans 10 verse 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that word confess literally means this. It means to say what God said. It means to agree with what God said about Jesus. That's how you can enter into salvation. In other words, if you don't agree with what God said about Jesus, if you don't agree that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, then you cannot be saved. So when you make confession, you are coming into agreement with God. And so we have to confess. We have to brace ourselves and say what God has said about it. This is why you got to pray prophetic words. If somebody spoke a word over you and it is from the Lord, speak what God said over your life. Stop telling yourself, I'm not strong enough. Stop telling yourself, I'm not smart enough. Stop telling yourself, I'm too old. Stop telling yourself, I'm too fat. Stop, stop telling yourself, I'm too skinny. Stop telling yourself, I'm too pretty. Stop telling yourself, your words are framing your world. Your words are building cages, they're building prisons, they're building walls, they're building barriers. And then we wonder why we can't get over because God is saying, I didn't put it there, you put it there, so you remove it. Oh yeah, uh-oh. See, we, we, we want to give the devil all the credit because we feel resistance. Sometimes the resistance is there put by our own self. We built the wall with our words because our faith got weak. We didn't confess. We didn't believe. And we so enough did not agree. We leaned to our own understanding. We didn't acknowledge him in all of our ways that he might direct our path. We took it upon ourselves to frame the conversation. And we find ourselves like Job, questioning God, complaining to God, despairing and doubting and wallowing in unbelief. But guess what? God in his mercy, he shows up like the mighty savior and the mighty deliverer that he is. And even though you've been talking bad about me, even though you've been talking a little bit slick, even though you've been talking on both sides of your neck, Job, hallelujah, I am yet God and I'm going to show you my goodness. Everything that I promise, everything I've ordained for you shall come to pass. And we know the end of the story, Job chapter 42, he was blessed more. Somebody say more. He was blessed more in the latter part of his life than he was in the beginning. God gave him double. Somebody say double. Come on, say double. God gave him double for all of his trouble. How many of you believe that God can reward you? Come on. You believe that? Well, here's the condition. The Bible says, Hebrews 11 and 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who seek and come must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have a choice to make, saints. 
Either we're going to brace ourselves and go along for the ride, for the adventure that God has for our lives, or we will find ourselves being stuck and forfeiting our destiny. The choice is ours, but God's grace is sufficient. He's not mad at us. Many of us have said things in ignorance because we just didn't understand. But that's even all the more reason why we got to get on our knees or get in our private and our, our quiet place and begin to seek him and say, Lord, help me. Help me with my mouth, God. Close your eyes, please. Now, I'm sure this, the word today may have stirred some reflection, may have caused you to think about and kind of survey the things that you've said even of late. Maybe you're considering what you said to your spouse, what you said to your children, what you said to a, a, a church member, a brother or sister, maybe even what you said to your boss about the workplace that you reside in, that you, that you go to and you, 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 you support and you contribute to. Well, that's the intent. God, help us to reflect upon our words. Come on, if you, if you mean this with sincerity and you know that, Lord, I'm like David, I need some divine help with my mouth. Lord, set a watch before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. If you know that, that's, that, you, that you have a razor in your mouth and sometimes you cut when you don't even mean to cut, this is the time for you to agree to believe and to confess. It's a time to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I thought I knew, but now I realize that for all of my understanding, I was yet ignorant. If that's you, I want you to just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord, forgive me for the words that I've spoken that have been idle. Forgive me, Lord, for speaking out of turn. Heal my tongue, oh God. Help me to brace myself that I may speak those things that are pleasing to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the lights, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.